is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. Hey, it's Jacqueline with SystemsForSelfCare.com, where I teach you to consistently take daily actions so you can feel happier, healthier, and more confident. Today on the podcast, I have Lacey McCabe, who is an eating disorder survivor and also is in school to become a therapist and help others. Lacey, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. And this is really fun. Um, I, it's just really interesting, like how I connected with you several, a couple years ago. And so I've kind of watched your journey happen. Um, but I, this will be great to like dive more in and hear more about it. So I want to get started with like, tell us a little bit more about your relationship with food in your body. Like, like the earliest memory that stands out, um, in your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 11 is when like food and body stuff started to become a problem. Um, I do remember having a quote unquote friend that, um, like had told me my thighs were fat or something. And I remembered that that just like rung in my ears forever. Um, I also remember, my parents had um, split up when I was 11 and I distinctly remember restricting food at that time. Um, It was very much just like a form of control. Like I can't control the environment around me, but I can control what goes in me. So um, that was, that was very early. um, And I just kind of throughout the years had various probably various versions of an eating disorder that I, and I didn't know that that's what it was. Um, You know, it would be fluctuating between restricting or binging um, and then phases where like, I was just really busy and I just didn't think about food and like lost a lot of weight or um, different things like that. And it, it kind of came to a head when I was 28. So it's, it's, I was, it was late in life. You know, everybody thinks like eating disorders are just this adolescent. Totally. Um, like the teenage girl, high school or early college, but yeah, yeah. It's anyone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it kind of just came to a head where, um, I had some like really traumatic emotional stuff happen, um, with like a friend and I just shut down like emotionally and, it just, it triggered a lot of that stuff from being 11. Um, and it, it kind of just became this thing of like, I didn't like emotional binging was definitely a, a, a thing that, you know, happened for me, like for years and years. And I, in my head, I, I remember thinking like, I don't, I don't want to use food to try to cope with this thing. And so I went the complete opposite direction. Um, and so it, it did become a full blown, like anorexia nervosa eating disorder. And this is when you were 28. Yes. And it happened really quickly. So I had been dieting for about a year before all of this happened. So I was doing pretty severe, like whole thirties and, um, keto and paleo and like, all these different things to try to search for something that felt good and made my body felt feel good. So it was about a year. And so that was already like a process of disordered eating. Um, And then 
when like towards the end of that year, it was like, it just became a full-blown eating disorder, not just because of the diet, but it, you know, it was a segue into a much deeper issue. Can we, I want to go into that. Cause I think that that's definitely where we connected and was the, the paleo and the whole 30 and the keto and all of the varieties of those, which look healthy. It looks yeah. healthy. Did you get a lot of like external feedback, like from, or praise from people about like, Lacey, you're the healthy eater. Like, Oh, teach me your ways. Or I wish I could just be as clean of eater as you are, or, you know? Yes, very much so. And like, what have you been doing? You look so great. Like all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And I mean, I got feedback throughout that whole year doing the, the dieting. And then even with the full-blown eating disorder, people were like, Oh, you look so great. And it was like, I'm, I'm struggling like really hard, you know? Um, but yeah, so it was very much like, what are you doing? Tell me your ways. And I was like preaching the gospel of it. (laughs) Yes. So if someone asked you about it, did you, when you, so when you were in that, like that period where you were dieting, Mm -hmm. I feel like those specific diets, like you, it is like a religion. Like when you said preaching the gospel, like it becomes a religion or it becomes a cult where you are kind of like evangelizing, like, like, oh, you know, like you should be doing this and you shouldn't be eating grains and you shouldn't be eating dairy. Like, yeah. Was it like that? Very much like food very much became like a moral issue in my mind, you know, like you're, I'm better because I clean, you know, I'm healthier because I eat clean or I'm, you know, some like really, (laughs) really terrible, you know, things. So, Yeah. yeah. I think for me too, like there's so many communities built around the diets too, that it does very much become like a religion or cult because it's like, it's who, and you see this, like the hashtag, I am whole 30 or like, I am keto. I am paleo. Like, oh my gosh. Like that's your, your identity is how you eat. Yes. And it's very much like, you know, kind of like the culture around CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of, that, and that, like nothing against CrossFit. It's just, it's a very intense community of, uh, like, I mean, that's what it is. It's trying to connect with other humans over something that we have to do every single day, which is eat food. Um, and then turning it into this like much larger moral issue. Yeah. That's really interesting too. Cause that is like, and we've seen it in the pandemic, like the need for human connection is there and the need for community is there. Not everyone who is a part of a CrossFit gym is crazy. (laughs) And also not everyone who like eats, like decides to eat healthy or like clean eat or, you know, Oh, I, I eat paleo or whatever. Not everyone is so extreme, but it can become that. Exactly. Yes. And it's a slippery slope and that's exactly what it was for me. Um, like, I don't think I touched carbs for like four or five months at one point, like outside of like vegetables. Um, and I, in my, in my head, it was like, this is what it's going to be forever. Like, this is what I'm going to do forever. And this is the healthiest way to eat and be, and, uh, just went against 
like everything my, my body actually needed and, um, just lost touch, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're getting a lot of external feedback about how great you looked or yeah, how good you were eating. Um, were there, I'm curious, were there any things that in that period there, like you got good things that were happening Why you kept doing it? Like what, like what prompted you to keep eating this way or being this way? Yeah. So I definitely like before I did the whole 30, I did the whole 30, like January 1st, you know, that kind of stereotypical, like I need a reset or something. Um, and before that I was really struggling with, I don't know, there's, there's like emotional binging, but also binging comes from restricting, like it's a survival mechanism. And so it was kind of a combination of both where I just, I would restrict and I would binge. And I was like, I thought the binging was the problem, not the restricting. Um, and so I was like, I need to fix this and I needed to lose. Yeah. I needed to fix the binging and I needed to fix my body. And, um, I needed, I felt like, I don't know, like it was this, you know, maybe grass is greener on the other side type of thing where it's like, oh, I want what those people have. They, you know, because they claim food freedom. And like, I was like, I'm so chained to this, this food issue and I need to be set free kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause if, so if you think that binging is the problem, then there needs to be some sort of like rules around food to prevent the binging. And then with that, like, oh, I'll find freedom. Can you, you, you said binging is a survival mechanism. Can you share more about like what that means for people who have never heard that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. And I mean, it, it definitely shocked me when I learned about this, um, like in eating disorder treatment. Um, so binging is like your body just wants you to survive and it will literally do anything to make you survive. Um, it needs calories, it needs nutrients. And when it doesn't get that, like in a time of famine, whether that's like the environment, because there's literally no potatoes in 1927 or whatever, or, um, or, that's you're choosing to restrict in, in a dieting situation or fasting or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, your body doesn't know the difference. So your body will literally kick in all of these like crazy survival mechanisms just to get you to eat, to get you to live. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's crazy town. So there's like, at least for me, and it might not be this way for everyone, but there's definitely like this urge. There's like a a binging urge. And it's so hard to explain if someone like hasn't experienced it, but it feels so it's very primal. And that is like the pure survival thing. It's, it's an urge to eat. Um, it's, I mean, I, I can't even think of like, what a good example or like a good analogy for it is. It's very, um, it's just very survivally. I mean, um, it, it's 
just wanting you to, to live. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, but we're so confused. Like even the word calories, like it's just constantly like, Oh, calories are bad. It's like, no, you need calories to live. If you don't have yes. food, you don't have calories. Your body doesn't live. Um, but I think also going back to when you were talking about like food becoming a moral issue, it like even binging, binging can be like, so, Oh, you're so lazy. You're so you have no discipline. You're disgusting. Yep. You're binging. And it's like, no, this is happening. Cause you're not eating enough. You're not getting enough of the nutrients that your body actually needs. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> this is kind of a crazy analogy, I guess. Um, it's, it's actually a true story. I haven't read the book. I just heard about it, but there's a book about, I want to say it was like a Catholic church group that was like in a plane crash and like some people died. They were like on an Island or something like it was very, you know, cast away and some people died. Some people didn't. And like, they did their best. And, and I think the, the thing here is like, Catholics are very um, sacred about the body. You know, there's no cremation, et cetera. So, I mean, this to me speaks volumes of like what, what our bodies will do to, um, to survive. So these people ended up like turning to cannibalism in order to survive. And that's like super extreme and, and crazy, but like, you know, they, have this belief in this faith that that bodies need to be preserved in a certain way you know for life after death or whatever and like they're gonna bypass all of that to get food like to eat Mm -hmm. um so again that's crazy but the there's like all kinds of psychology and stuff behind it um but kind of lost my train of thought I'm sorry no it's (laughs) okay Yeah. But we're talking about the survival mechanism. Like your, your body is going to override those things, override your, um, your belief system and get food. Very much, very much. It'll, it'll override any logical, emotional, whatever. And it just goes straight into like primal. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, I can get into the actual, like when you're in starvation mode not just like oh I've been dieting and like now I want to binge but where like for me it had been months of not eating very much and it was the strangest scariest experience like literally something in my brain like clicked and I could not think about anything else but food could not and like my sense of smell was like incredibly heightened. It was just like, everything was like, I would hear someone talking about food, be like food. Like it was, it's just very, you're very attuned. You have like all your antennas are kind of up and, and searching. Like you're just very, I don't know, primal survival mode. It's crazy. Yeah. You're like starving and your body is like, there's food around, there's food around. I smell it. I hear it. People are talking about it, but you won't let yourself eat it. Yeah. I've had friends who've done like, like they were bikini competitors and they kind of talked about similar things where they, yeah, the, like, Oh, looking online, like Googling like pictures of desserts 
because they, they couldn't mm-hmm. allow themselves to eat the dessert, but they would like look at the dessert or look at magazines, like pictures of food, just like obsessed with food, but also not allowed to eat any of it. Yes, totally. I would, I would get like candles that smelled like oh. cupcakes and whatever. And I would like, just to like smell stuff and like, I'd watch the food network all the time. And I, I would actually cook a lot of food for other people. You were a chef at one time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I was, I was a chef during like the dieting stuff and then heading towards an eating disorder. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. No. Well, this, I'm, I wonder if you learned about that, this study in, uh, the starvation experiment. Yes. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I was going to bring up as well. Yeah. The, I think it's Minnesota, Minnesota yeah, thank starvation you. experiment. And it's like these, these guys, there were like thousands of them and they, um, like essentially starved them. They were still eating, but their calories were so minimal. It, I mean, it wasn't enough to thrive or survive and all that. Um, and so the, they did it. I mean, you know, I don't think anything like that could be done now, but this was in like the fifties. Um, and these guys just, they studied the psychology behind starvation and even like cutting calories down to like a thousand or 1200 or something made these guys crazy about food. And they would talk about recipes and exchange recipes and like they would like take two hours to eat their little thousand calories or whatever. Like they, they would just do all this crazy stuff and they would have dreams about food and like it, it just, it, it just kicked all the survival stuff into high gear. So yeah, it's proof. Yeah. And I think a lot of them went on to like have careers in food, like it stuck with them, like this obsession with food. So it's just, it's so interesting to me that you were a chef during like making food for other people that you weren't allowed to eat. Like it was yeah. okay for other people, but not for you. Yeah. And, and I would try to kind of cater towards, um, people doing whole thirties or people who have dietary restrictions or gluten-free or whatever. Um, but I, I mean, I still made food that was outside of all those things and I wasn't allowed to eat it and in my head. And I definitely would like binge on stuff and make myself like really miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, when I did the whole 30, I remember there was like this calendar that said like, this might happen on this day and this might happen. And I don't know what day it was, but they were like, you might start having dreams about food. So when I did start having dreams about food, I was like, oh, well, this is normal. They said this was going to happen. So this is normal. And now I'm like, yeah, it's normal that it was going to happen. But like, it's not, no, like in the big grand scheme, like it's not normal to be dreaming about food. Like you're dreaming about food because you don't get to eat any of this food. Totally, totally. And I, I remember having dreams on the whole 30, like. Cheez-Its are fine. Like I'll eat them. They're not like my most favorite thing ever. And I would like have dreams. I would have dreams that I was sleeping and woke up or, or that I like maybe didn't even wake up. I would dream that I was sleeping and eating Cheez-Its in my sleep. 
and like a whole box or something. And then I would like wake up and be like freaked out. Like, did I ruin my whole 30? <laughs> it's <a> crazy town. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think though, like if you had been in like a Facebook group that was for whole 30 and you shared that story, people would be like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. And be like, okay, well, this is, that's okay that this is happening. But you talk to a therapist that, you know, someone that knows about eating disorders, like, no, that's not okay. Like that's really messed up by the way. Like this shouldn't be happening. Exactly. There's so many, so many things like that, like through treatment and recovery where it's like, oh, this is not normal. Like everything I've been doing with dieting is not normal. And Mm -hmm. the things that I'm experiencing are not, not normal. Like other people don't spend 98% of their waking thoughts or sleeping thoughts thinking about food in their body. Like really? Yeah. To even imagine a life that you're not constantly thinking about food, your body was just so foreign for you. Very, very. Because I was like 11 since I was 11, I was constantly like, my body's the problem up and down, losing weight, gaining weight, like yo-yoing pretty severely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you went through that period where, okay. So like whole 30 keto paleo, and then you said from there, it kind of turned like, that's where the like, okay, this isn't just trying out different ways of eating now. This is something that's not going well. And this is going to, what, like what happened there and how did you, what was the change that happened? Yeah. So like a couple of months kind of before it was deemed an eating disorder. Um, I remember trying out like vegan and trying out gluten-free and gluten-free and vegan. And it just got to this point where I just was restricting and eliminating huge food groups where there just wasn't much left that I could eat. It just, it was very minimal. And, um, I got really obsessive about that. Um, and then, um, I just had like a lot of emotional stuff and I, I was like, don't use food to cope, like shut that down. And, I just would, I would eat a few bites. I didn't, I mean, part of it is like, I didn't have much of an appetite, but I would just eat a few bites and here and there throughout the day. And I, I mean, at that point where it was like, I did make a conscious choice not to use food to cope emotionally, but I wasn't making a conscious choice to like, I mean, essentially like head towards death, (laughs) you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't choosing that part. Um, and so it kind of snowballed from there. So it was like really severe dieting, um, not having much appetite, choosing not to eat very much. Then I started like, I drastically lost some weight and I started getting compliments and I was still working out super hard and not eating. And I just started getting really obsessed about my body and it just, so it was just a slippery slope, you know? Um, then I'm trying to think, so then it turned into like really severe health issues that was like a snowball that I totally lost control of. Um, 
and that made me lose more weight. And so I know, I'm trying to think at what point I got really sick. My immune system was, was completely shot because I was pretty severely underweight at that point. Um, and I got this weird, like fungal mouth infection, like babies get it. It's called thrush. It's really weird. Um, and it's very painful and it made me not want to eat more. Um, and so it's just, it, everything compounded. It was just, I didn't want to eat and my stomach shrunk. So I couldn't eat very much. It hurt to eat. Like it just, I felt like I was dying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just like kind of a dark hole, a lot of blackness. I, there's some things I don't remember. What I do remember is like, I remember being very panicked and not knowing how to express that um, because your brain runs on calories and runs on carbs. And I couldn't put thoughts into words. I barely even had thoughts. It was very strange. Um, so it just, I just was like, I'm, this is it. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was rough. Sorry to go all like existential, but um, yeah, it, it took a lot of work to get back from that edge. And it just, it just was a snowball that I totally lost control of. It's so interesting when it like, it starts as this thing that looks like you're trying to be healthy and then it became, it made you so unhealthy, like so unhealthy on the opposite extreme. Yeah, totally. It's crazy. Um, you know, when I, I, sometimes I think like, oh, and like people think that you choose that, like you, you know, like you starved yourself, you know, kind of a thing. Like it's, it's your fault. Can't help you. <clears throat> your fault. Um, and that's, that's not it. There's a lot of psychology behind it and, a, you know, a perfect storm of things that have to happen in order to go down that route. A lot of, um, depression, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it's just, it feels totally beyond your control like at some point it just I would have panic attacks for hours a day because I just had no idea what was happening to me I felt like something was happening to me Mm -hmm. you know you being sick yeah (laughs) yeah you got help and switched things around what happened yeah so Right around, I I had to be at like my most severe weight. Um, and I know like I went and saw a therapist who did specialize in food stuff, like in eating disorders and helping women, uh, you know, deal with the food issues that they have. So she was a psychiatrist, actually. So she, the first session I was like, you know, here's my history and like, here's what's been going on and here's where I'm at, you know? And I remember there, she, it was kind of like this long skinny room and, you know, therapists sit a ways from you in like a chair 
And she got up from her chair and came and sat on the ottoman, like right in front of my face. And she said, Lacey, you have an eating disorder and you're going to die if you don't do something about it. And that's when I was like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> that That is what scared me enough. Yeah. And because then when you like really, like I was pretty miserably depressed, but like you really think about it, like, did I want to die? No. Do I need to make changes to not? Yes. Um, and so I saw her for a little while. She really pushed me to go to treatment and I wouldn't for a really long time. She also pushed me to um, get on like depression, antidepressants, um, medication and different things like that. And I wouldn't have any of it. What was stopping so, you? What, like, what, like she said, like, hey, if you don't make a change, you're going to die. But like, yeah, that, like, it scared you, but not enough to, what stopped you? Um, is that overwhelming? Good? Yeah. But like, <laughs> is it like overwhelming? Like, oh my God, I have to change everything or. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I mean, for me, like the main thing, there's definitely stigma and like finances where I'm like, how are we going to do that? And I don't want to be a person on medication and, you know, all of that. Um, I wasn't convinced that like medication would make me feel better. Yeah. I was like, it could make me feel worse and mm-hmm. I would have to switch around different medications and I just don't want to go through that process. Um, but like at the core, it was, I can handle this by myself. I can fix this by myself. Um, just pure stubbornness, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just kind of like, I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out. Like no one's going to save me kind of a thing. Um, and it, I mean, it's true. You have to make a choice. Yeah. Um, you can't force someone to do something they aren't willing to do. hmm for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I fought that for a really long time. So I continued to see that therapist. Um, I, I remember seeing a doctor and she kind of, she confirmed, she's like, yeah, you, you have an eating disorder and you, you would benefit from treatment. Um, she also gave me some really terrible advice and didn't help me at all. So, um, I, had to kind of decide to do it on my own. And, and I have a very supportive, loving husband that didn't want to see me die. Yeah. <laughs> like I scared him pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he kind of stepped in, uh, you know, to help. And then I made, I do remember, you know, making a choice where it was like, you know, I got to do this thing. And I thought it was just that I needed to gain some weight. Like, Honestly, I thought that was my problem. Can I interject? Yeah, yeah. I remember this. So Sean, Lacey's husband, I remember him making a post um, about tracking your calories. Like that was a tool with that to help you to make sure you eat, you were actually eating. And he was like watching over to make sure that you were eating throughout the day. But again, it's like, it's about the food, but it's not really about the food. Like at that point, it was about the food though. Like you needed to get calories. Like your brain was not functioning with so few calories. Exactly. Exactly. And the, when it was like, okay, I need to gain some weight so that I don't like die. Um, I can control this. Like I can, I can count calories in the opposite direction to make sure I get enough. 
Um, but I was terrified of like too much, whatever that was. Um, it was like, I want to like get up to the bare minimum and then just stay there. Cause I was terrified of weighing any more than what's healthy, you know, um, not being able to fit into my clothes, like all, all of that stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, I was really, really unhappy. I became really unhappy with my body. Um, I remember thinking, I mean, like I would have people tell me I looked like a model and I looked like the ideal woman and all of this stuff. And I'm like buying a dress for my brother-in-law's wedding and buying the smallest size that exists and that I've ever touched, you know? Yeah. And I hated every second of it. And it was like, oh, I got here. I got to this ideal. I got to the grass on the other side that I've been looking at my whole life. And it sucks. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, there's lots of things that happen with your body when you're in starvation mode. Um, I lost a ton of hair. I've always had like hair to spare. (laughs) And lost a lot of it. Um, if I even like nicked myself, if I just like bumped into something and got a cut, it would take six months to heal. Um, I was freezing all the time. I mean, just, uh, you know, like gut issues. Yeah. Cause like your gut's not moving, nothing's moving through it. Um, major brain fog, major, you know, but like physically how my body was working, uh, was miserable. Um, and like none of my clothes fit. I remember thinking I like, I wouldn't wear like V-necks because you could see my chest bones. And I, like, I was trying to hide this body that I thought I wanted. And that was super like, you know, (laughs) like I'm here. I'm here and I hate it. Crap. Yes. Yes. Now what? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so I think that was part of it too, where I was like, okay, I'm going to fix this. I got myself into this. I'm going to fix it. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't want to be here. I, I just remember like my, you know, my, my shoulders were just so bony. They were just straight up shoulder blade bones. And I just remember like watching people on TV or looking at people and just looking at their shoulders and crying, like, like your shoulders are so beautiful. I mean, something that small, like it it just was like, all of a sudden everyone, everyone was just absolutely beautiful to me where I was just like, you're so healthy. You're so beautiful. Uh... Like I just had such an appreciation for bodies all of a sudden and like and for life where I was just like I I wanted to be here and I thought this was it and this is not it yeah crap yeah and so yeah so um so I kind of made a choice all that say I I kind of made a choice I was also kind of forced (laughs) like my family and my husband got very concerned for me and um you know, he sat with me and ate every meal and every snack. And if I was 
you know, not at home with him. We had like a habit tracker and, you know, I would check off boxes and he could see when I would check them off. And cause I definitely had lied, you know, about eating and different things. And he was very much like, I'm going to make sure you don't die. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so it was very, it was very helpful because eating disorders are very sneaky. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just didn't completely know what I was dealing with. And I needed, I mean, number one is nutrition and weight restoration. Like it's a process you get to the other stuff. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll just do this thing. And the therapist that I was working with had recommended like a certain calorie count, mm-hmm. um, which is like, you know, way higher than anything I'd ever, you know, <laughs> thought of. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so then it became like, okay, I got to reach my calorie goals now. Yeah, you know, the opposite direction of what I always thought that I needed to do. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to think that. I mean, it took a few months to really see any progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to eat a lot. I was going to ask, what, like, what was the eating experience for you like at that point? Was there any joy around eating or was it fear? Like, what was it science, was, like a, mechanical? Like, what? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It was, it, lots of fear. Um, I just thought if I took a bite of anything, I was going to gain 100 pounds or something. Like, it was very catastrophic thinking. And, um, it also, because of that whole survival thing, it felt like if I started eating, I would never stop. Um, like I, I would lose all control and like, I wanted to maintain control and, uh, what else? So it, it also felt like, oh, I, I didn't have any hunger or fullness cues at all. It was, it was literally just you go by the clock, you go by the numbers, you eat every three hours, you're eating six to seven times a day. Um, and it needs to be a certain amount, you know, at certain times, like it very much fit in. It appealed to my diet brain. Yeah. It's like, I need to be told what to do. Yeah. Um, like diets, you know, do for you like they tell you follow this thing and eat at this certain time and eat this amount and it it fit into that but it was more like I cope with a lot of things with humor and I just would pretend to like be a gym bro and like (laughs) I would like uh, (laughs) right I would like reach my calorie counts and I would like meal prep and then you know if I reach um my goal for the day I'd be like gains bro you know and so, um, yeah, it just, it, it became a lifestyle for a little bit of just like gaining weight. And that's, that's all that I did for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that on our own and mm-hmm. it's actually, uh, I learned later, it's actually really a, a terrifying process to do without <laughs> medical assistance. Um, so I just think all the like medical stuff is super fascinating. Um, so I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit about that, but it was like, 
I got to a healthy weight. Yeah. The bare minimum. I remember going to the doctor and having like the bare minimum and my brain was starting to catch up with my body. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I would, you know, in April be really consistent, eat really regularly. And then like July, my brain would be able to process things and yeah, stuff. like there was a delay between the physical and the mental. And eventually I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a healthy weight. And I started processing everything that had happened in the last almost year. And I started to panic. I got really scared and I was experiencing really weird physical symptoms too, that are part of the refeeding process. Um, and so I, I just was panicking a lot and I got really like, honestly, I got pretty suicidal because I just, I thought my life was hopeless and I had screwed up too much, you know? Um, so I got really scared. That's when I went to treatment. So I went to treatment a full year after I stopped eating. Um, and I got a medication and like all of that was the best thing I could ever do. It saved my life. It was, it was great. Um, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think about timelines Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, oh, so there is a hyper metabolic phase where once you get to a healthy weight for your size, Mm -hmm. three to six months, your metabolism goes into overdrive. It takes more food to gain the same amount of weight much less maintain mm-hmm. um, because your body's trying to fix all the damage yeah. that was done and it takes more energy to do that. Um, I was like, once my hunger cues came back, my fullness cues didn't come back for a little while. But, like hunger came back with a vengeance. Like I was starving all the time. <laughs> and so when I went to treatment, I was like, I'm having all of these experiences. And we weight restored on our own, but now I'm struggling with this months later. And they were like, you're in the hypermetabolic phase. We have to increase your meal plan. So you have to eat even more. And so I'll just say calorie numbers. I mean, you know, people talk about like Michael Phelps eating like 10,000 calories a day or something. Um, in eating disorder recovery, you can be required to eat five to 10,000 calories a day. That's what you need. Yeah. It depends on your body to survive. It's, I mean, that's the whole like binge thing, (laughs) like the binge urge or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, it just, I'm sorry. I feel like we're good. This might be a longer podcast. (laughs) It's fine. This is so interesting. But like, like, honestly, when you put a number to that, cause like, I don't know, I was like, Oh, you're like, Oh, like 2000 calories, 2005, no 5,000, 10,000 calories. But it makes sense what you said to make up for all of the damage, like all of the healing that your body needs to do. It's going to take more energy and calories are units energy. So it's going to take a lot of energy to fix those things that are happening in your body. Totally. Like your body is running a marathon, just to live while you're sitting on a couch or something. Um, and, and you just have, you need, you need more than you think totally. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I had goals of 
4,000, 5,000. Like it was, and you have to increase slowly. Like you can't just go from eating 800 calories a day to 5,000 overnight. You know, like there's a whole process. You can die if you do that. Um, there's a whole, that's called refeeding syndrome. There's like your, you know, your body adapts really mm-hmm. easily. Like with workouts, you know, mm-hmm. it adapts and you have to increase the weight or whatever. Your body will adapt, like your metabolism will adapt, your whole, all your systems adapt to a certain way of being, um, like a certain existence. And so changing that super drastically causes really severe changes in electrolytes and like, like your body's eating away when you're starving, your body eats away at itself, at its own muscle. Your heart's a muscle. And so your body will literally eat away at the muscle of vital organs and it weakens them. Mm. Um, so there's just really drastic physical changes that happen when you you starve and refeed. Mm-hmm. Um, just something to think about with dieting, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's not fun. It's not sustainable. It's not what your body wants to, to mm-hmm. be in. So mm-hmm. I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you're in treatment, you're eating this food, you had arrived at a healthy weight and you, I'm assuming that it got better, but also like you're doing stuff besides just with food, right? You're talking about the underlying issue and thoughts and Very. beliefs and emotions and all that stuff Very we want to skip over and not have to deal with. We want it to exactly. just be about the food, but it's yeah, not. It's not. Um, yeah. So I was in treatment for three months. Um, I mean, you know, it's just, it's crazy. I didn't struggle with bulimia, which is where you binge and purge. Um, but you're just like, you're in this environment where it's like, oh, how did I get here? Like in the bathrooms, it's like a bathroom stall with one of those hospital curtains. Because the people who do struggle with that, they aren't allowed to go to the bathroom by themselves for a while. Um, You know, and there's the curtain for privacy, but it's, you know, to make sure you're not feeding those behaviors. Um, And so, yeah, it's just like, I had to halt my life, you know, and it's very much like you have to halt and address this thing because it's going to kill you if you don't. So there was lots of therapy, um, all day therapy, you know, we'd, we'd eat meals together and stuff, but, um, you know, we would have sessions on cognitive behavioral therapy, which is where, you know, you're, um, you're kind of addressing cognitions and changing behaviors at the same time. Um, and creating like a positive feedback loop where it's like, you know, like you're, you're having to challenge all of those thoughts that you've had before of dieting and food and yourself and life and whatever. So it's just, it's constantly challenging those things. And there was lots of support around meals and food. And, and, you know, we would all talk about our feelings before going to eat. And then we'd talk about our feelings after, and it was very supportive you know, because there is lots of fear around the food. Um, but it's also addressing the, the cognitive and emotional stuff that's Mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. I've talked about CBT on the podcast before. It's definitely helped me with 
depression and anxiety or seasonal depression as well. And like the winter here in the Midwest, it definitely has helped me. Can you share a little bit more? You said about like challenging, like challenging those beliefs or challenging those thoughts. Like what was like a belief or a thought that you had that like recurring that you needed to challenge and like, what would that look like? Yeah, I think like, just like something along the lines. I mean, I remember having a lot of thoughts, but like, I remember thinking, you know, if I ate, I would be back at like my highest weight where I was really unhappy or I would, I would think like, that this is like a life sentence, like that there's no way out. And, and that I was just kind of like blindly stumbling through this. Um, I, yeah, I definitely, I'm trying to think, cause like, it's so strange because I've always been such a foodie and like, have always had a passion for food. It was just like during those few months where it just kind of snowballed into this weird like fear and stuff. And once I kind of got like my hunger cues back and I was eating consistently and I was feeling better and like my brain was working and all of that, like it just became less and less about the food. Um, And I, I, you know, so I would have a lot of thoughts around maybe just general mental health stuff. Like, you know, I'm only worth what I look like, or I'm, I deserve this or, you know, like different things. Um, so learn, I, even just for me, putting a name to things that I'm experiencing really helps me where it's like, oh, taking a bite of this thing is not going to make me pack on however many pounds. And that's called catastrophic thinking or black and white thinking or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Like even just having, having those words where it was like, you can take a step back and see your thoughts instead of just being drowning in them. Um, yeah. So I think there was just like a big accumulation of things where, you know, I have these professionals that are telling me, Um, I know it feels like you can't trust your body, but I trust your body. This is what I do for a living. I have a master's degree in this. I've been doing this for 20 years. I trust your body, you know? And it's like, oh, maybe I have, you just suddenly question everything you've ever believed ever about food, about your body, about anatomy, about nutrition. Like you just have to really, I mean, start fresh. I mean, like burn it down and rebuild. Um, it just, it opens you up to a whole new world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so beliefs like I'm bad for eating this or I'm going to gain weight if I eat this or eat anything. Um, those kind of things you would address uh, with stuff like, um, it's like behavior, therapy or um, exposure therapy where it's like you're going to sit here and you're going to eat the donut and you're going to see what happens and you're going to see you don't gain 100 pounds when you eat a donut you know and so it's very evidence 
it's um, empirical. You're, you're, the professionals are trying to help you see empirically. Yeah. You know, when you do this, this is what happens. So now you have evidence. Use that to build a case for yourself. Does that make sense? <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. It goes back to like, like our thoughts can just be so fucked up and it's like, wait, but like that, like we have all of these, if then fears in our head, if I eat this donut, I'm going to gain a hundred pounds and then let's test it out. Oh, I didn't gain a hundred pounds. What other thoughts do I have in my head that I need to test out to see? Because wait, like everything that's going on in my head, maybe it's not as strong, uh, of a, yeah, it's not going to hold up in court very well. Yeah. Like maybe I don't actually know what I'm doing and actually I'm not in control of this thing. Yeah. It's crazy. Which is, yeah, that's very scary to think about. But I think too, like what you said, like you needed help to, you needed help to sort this out. The other thing I want to say too, is like, I, it's a weird thing where no one is going to come save you. Like you were the one that saved yourself, but you had a support team that helped you like, Hey, did you think about this? Or like, Hey, here's a list of cognitive distortions that we need to explain to you. But like, you were the one that took action and you were the one that sorted these things out and you were the one that tasted the donut and like, you know, saw what happened, but it's like, yeah, you have to have a support team, but you're the one that did it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely, you know, I think people seeking treatment should be empowered in that sense of like, you are doing the heavy lifting. Absolutely. But you know, like you can't do the heavy lifting if you don't go to a gym that has all the equipment or whatever, you know, like you. Yeah. You need the tools and resources and the knowledge that other people have. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And like professionals, that is what they do. You know? I like that doctor. I have been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like this, you know, treatment works, you know, like there's a, a large percentage of treatment that works. It's like you follow this system. You have no idea what you're doing throughout that system. And it feels like you're just stumbling around in the dark. And I kept, everyone told me, trust the process, trust the process. And I was like, fuck the process. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I hate this. Um, I want to know, I want to know where the light is at the end of this tunnel. Um, and it, so it's so hard, but you really, you do come out on the other side and you're able to, to see that it really, it was a process that you have to trust, um, to get you like where you want to be. Mm-hmm. There is like a, a CBT definition of depression that really resonated with me. And I feel like I'm going to butcher it right now, but it was something like depression is like thinking that how you are is how you've always been and, and how you always will be. So like those, oh, this won't work this, you know, oh gosh, like that is just a depressive thought. And it's like, again, this cognitive distortion, like, but wait, no, there's these like scientific professionals who have been like doing this and exploring this and testing things out with thousands and millions of people. Maybe there is something that can work, but like that depressive thought will just keep you stuck. Totally. Um, this is backtracking a little bit, but there it's so bizarre to me, you know, like at this point I've been eating for 28 years, 
maybe not enough sometimes, maybe too much sometimes or whatever, whatever too much is. But like I had practiced in eating for 28 years. I knew that you have to eat to live, but like for some reason I thought I was like an exemption. <laughs> like it was just, it was the, it's just the strangest distorted thought yeah. process. It's just like, I mean, I can function like this. Like I can, yeah. I'm, I can do this, you know, I can live off water and coffee, <laughs> you know, like, um, it, it, so it, it's just, weird. it's just lying to yourself, denial. And it's so strange, but like, that's the kind of stuff you have to address as well. Like that's what was addressed when that therapist told me you have an eating disorder and you're going to die if you don't do something about it. Not, I was like, all right, you do have to eat to live. Like, I don't know why that just like disconnected. It's so strange. Yeah. But what does life look like now for you when it comes to food and your body? Oh my gosh. I just, I want to cry. It's, it's so great. Like complete freedom. Like it's not even a factor. It's so crazy. Like I feel present in my life for the first time ever. There's just like this level of awareness and mindfulness and mental and emotional space that opens up when you're not obsessing about food and you're not obsessing about your body. Um, it's, I wish I could just like impart it to everyone because it's so cool. And, and like, I definitely am not perfect and I'm definitely always going to be improving, always going to be, you know, it, it's definitely, it's kind of like an addiction in that, like, you're kind of going to be recovering. Like, I mean, I've recovered, but I'm also kind of going to be recovering for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. Like those thought patterns have been, they have dug a groove in your brain and they're going to be there and actions they can get triggered Mm -hmm. yeah it's you know it just can rear its head at any point you know um so life is really really good um I'm really enjoying school like I'm going to school to become an eating disorder therapist um I'm loving loving school I have such an appreciation for what my body does what it's capable of I have been taking uh, anatomy for 10 months. (laughs) Um, and just, it just, it blows my mind. I think everyone who's had an eating disorder should study anatomy because I mean, every cell in your body is just designed to keep you alive and you know, you got to feed it in order to do that. And it's, it's just, it's insane. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a complete flip from what it was before, but it didn't happen overnight. It was just, it's like this very slow process of breaking down behaviors, breaking down thoughts and slowly replacing them with new thoughts. Um, It's rerouting your own brain essentially. And so it's just a non-issue for me. Like food is food. Food is not a moral issue. Um, it's also not about the food. And it's also, 
like that my body's not a problem you know and so just you know mantras that was a big thing that helped me kind of get there because it just you know when I'd look at myself in the mirror instead of all the negative crap the the positive crap (laughs) the positive things um are what got replaced you know and they're still there now Mm -hmm. so do you yeah do you have things that you do on a daily basis that keep you in this like good headspace to keep following through with this lifestyle? Yeah. So food is a non-negotiable for me. I will stop whatever I am doing to eat. Um, I do have a meal plan. It's kind of like a guideline now. Um, I, you know, I three meals a day, uh, try to get in three snacks that doesn't always happen but um also just following my body because I can trust it now for sure and my body kind of sticks to the clock like it like it did during treatment where it's like okay I get hungry about every three hours um and you know I'm super busy now like before when I had to just halt my life and eat all the time Um, I wasn't, I actually wasn't like working. I wasn't doing a whole lot. I was just trying to get better. And so now it's like, I'm going to eat. It's just a matter of what, and what do I want, you know, and, and what do I plan for? And how does this fit into my life? It's just, it's not something I obsess over. It's very flexible. There's just like a rough guideline now of, um, I kind of see the same thing for breakfast every day. Like that. It, it just, it works. It's a breakfast that works for me. It's easy. Um, you know, I love switching up lunch and dinner and snacks and like, I get whatever I'm in the mood for. Like, it's just very freeing. Like everything is an option. What did you think? It's like, like you use the words food freedom, mm-hmm. which all of them use all the diets yeah. use. What did you think food freedom was like years ago? And how does that compare to like what it actually is for you now? Yeah. Yeah. So years ago, I thought it meant I would only want healthy things in my mind. It's like I would change in such a way where I would become a healthy person and I would want healthy things and that that was freedom instead of like wanting all this quote-unquote junk food and like forcing myself to eat healthy stuff or something like it it was just like I don't know and something that appealed to me a lot was like the whole 30 and the food freedom thing is um you know kind of like allowing yourself to have dessert and like sitting with it and eating it one bite at a time and paying attention to every single bite. And then you only want half of it or, you know, because then making sure you're paying attention to being satisfied and things like that. And I was like, that's so much nuance that I want to have in my life. Um, because everything up until that point was either like, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat, and then shovel it all in. Um, so this idea that it could be this like, wonderful experience and 
whatever was just like beyond me. Um, and (laughs) yeah. Um, and so it was very much like everything is healthy, but I'm allowed to eat something bad once in a while is how I thought of it before. Um, how it is now is literally like, you've got to (laughs) eat, you've got to eat food is food. Um, I can enjoy it. I, you know, I find pleasure in it now and I don't force myself to eat anything. I don't want to eat. I don't deprive myself of anything. And I don't know. It's just, it's a non-issue. That's the best way I can explain it. Yeah. It's just not That's even so, a factor. Yeah. It's so <laughs> foreign for someone, for people who have listening who, it, I mean, if it's been an issue since you were 11 years old, which I think all of us, all of us can think about a time that we were in third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade, or the first time we went on a diet, but like to be like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm going to eat some food and it's going to be delicious, but also I'm going to go do other things that are important in my life. Like that sounds so crazy. Like, what do you mean? You don't, you don't have my fitness pal on your phone. You don't have, you don't have, you know, a list of good foods and foods you're not allowed to have. And you don't have a binge weekend. You don't have, you're not following 8 million people on Instagram that are talking about them being clean eaters like that. It feels it. I don't know. (laughs) It does. It is foreign. I was definitely stuck in that world for a really long time and I didn't think I could get out. Um, you know, but I think that's, that's a process. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, once I made that decision, I started getting mad for a little bit. I was mad at society. I was mad at diet culture where I was like, I bought into this system for so long. I almost died and I don't want anybody to be so bought into a system like that, that they aren't living their life. I remember like I, I it was some family member, I don't remember who it was, but when I was like being all obsessive in, in treatment, even about food, um, she was like, Lacey, eat some food and go live your life. And I just didn't, I could not comprehend that. And now that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, and it doesn't happen overnight and it's a process and you have to break down all these systems and you have to get angry. But I mean, you just, you get there like climbing a ladder or something. You just, you know, you, you, you get there. And, and at some point it happens really slowly. And at some point, like I, I would wake up and just be like, my body's awesome. And I'm awesome. (laughs) And food (laughs) is awesome. Like, like it's just, all slowly and then all at once it's just like there's so much more to life like so much more and also like you know I reached what I thought life was all about I almost died and I hated it so I want to run as far away from that as I possibly can I know that you guys at the beginning of the pandemic you were traveling for a little bit but I'm just thinking about that like like things that you are able to do now because you're not where you were like, like that just wouldn't, if you, uh, you can't, it doesn't I, compute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I think about like, we went to Thailand for three weeks for our honeymoon. I'm like, that's hilarious. If I was trying to do paleo, like while in an Asian country, like, nope, can't have any rice, can't have any noodles. Like it just, you can't live your life if you're afraid of food. Totally. Totally. And it just like, one of my favorite things in the whole world is to have a almond croissant, like a really good, like French almond croissant. Um, and a black cup of coffee. And it's not because I always drink black coffee because I don't, I like lattes and whatever, pumpkin spice, whatever, you know, but that combination is just like so near and dear to my heart for some reason, like the sweet of the almond. And it's so satisfying. And then a black cup of coffee, like it just, it's such a pleasurable experience for me. And to be like, to not let myself have that joy is just heartbreaking to think about. And it's like, when I think about that experience, like I want that to be every part of my life. Um, and when you're just, when you're obsessed and when it's all about your body, it's all about the food. Like you just can't, you just can't. Yeah. You can't travel freely. You can't eat when you're hungry. You can't save half your plate, you know, when you're full, you, you can't like, like, I just, you know, I, I never thought I could get to the point where I wasn't constantly thinking about the piece of chocolate cake in the fridge. And I, I got to the point where it's like, I'm throwing stuff away because I forgot about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause mm-hmm. I didn't eat it when I didn't want to. And mm-hmm. I live my life and I eat other stuff. Like, it, you know, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. How, so like how you are right now, how has that like affected your relationships? Like how, what are you able to do now? Or like, how does it, like your family relationship with your husband, like how has that changed? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I have so much more mental and emotional capacity to be a friend to be a wife, to be a daughter. Like I can be there for people. Mm -hmm. I can write people a birthday card before. Like I couldn't even like think enough to write a birthday card. Like I, I can have fun with them. I like, I wanted normalcy. I was like, I just want to be normal about food and my body. I just want to be normal, whatever that meant. I just, I want to be normal and I feel normal now, like in those relationships where we can just go get some ice cream and it's fun and we can go have chicken and waffles at brunch on Saturday morning. And it's awesome. And I'm going to have champagne and mimosas too. Like, yeah, it, everything, everything is an option. Everything is flexible and not set in stone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not some rule you have to follow or, you know, a cheat weekend and then you feel like crap or whatever. It's just like, I can have anything at any time. And my mental and emotional capacity is just much larger for living my life, Mm -hmm. living my life with the people that I love. That's what matters. Yeah. That, that's what matters. Yeah. 
So a question I always ask clients when we're talking about like with stuff with food or like exercise or making a map or even like journaling or thoughts, like I'm always like, would you want this for like an eight-year-old girl in your life? And I don't have kids. I don't have kids, but I used to be a teacher. So it's like something on my mind. And I think about like, no, I wouldn't want like an eight-year-old tracking calories or cutting out like, no, you can't have bread. Sorry, you can't have bread today. Like I wouldn't want that for her. What things would you want for maybe that 11 year old you, or just, you know, like young females in general? Yeah, I, I mean, I would just want you to, you know, I would want someone young to just be free to be themselves and to be free to not have to worry about something so superficial as yeah. you know your body or whatever like I just the aesthetics of your body yeah aesthetics yeah, the yeah, vanity, yeah. yeah so just you know like run around on the playground and scream at the absolute top of your lungs like have fun just be wild and you know be you and just like exist and exists for something totally outside of what you look like and the food that you eat. Yeah. Cause life is so much more than that. And just like enjoy like the precious moments. Like it's like when you die, you're not gonna, it's not going to be about your weight. It's not going to be about the size of jeans you wear. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to wish you had not eaten a cupcake or something like it, it doesn't matter. There's an activity in, um, one of the online training courses I took with, uh, Donald Miller who wrote, he actually wrote this like Christian book that I read when I was in college. And now he's kind of like into marketing and business. But one of the activities he said, has you do is like, it's kind of morbid, but not, he's like, Imagine your funeral and people getting up and talking about what they're going to say about you. And are they going to be like, wow, she had perfect thighs or she ate kale for every meal. Like, is that what they're going to say about you? Or are they going to be like, wow, she always wrote me a birthday card or she like, she was always there for me, you know? And that's like that. Yeah. Yes. I want people to know me as someone who was kind and funny and, but not like, she was obsessed with her body and could never go do anything because she was so obsessed and sad all the time. Exactly. Exactly. And you really have to like step outside of it to, you know, to, because when you're drowning in it, it doesn't feel like you can get, get out enough to, you know, you can't see the forest despite the trees or whatever that quote is. Mm-hmm. You, you, when you're just in it, you can't, mm-hmm. but you, you really have to like take a step out and be like, you know, what matters most to me, what's important in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just so much more. Are there anything, so we kind of chatted about like how, like our brains, like your ways of being and your thought patterns, they are grooved in there for years and decades. Are there things that you do on a daily basis to keep like this version of yourself afloat, like journaling or reading or anything that like, oh, right, this is what I'm doing and who I'm being. Is there anything you do? 
I wish I could say yes. <laughs> you know, I wish I could say like, oh yeah, I'm like super on top of journaling. Um, right now, I, I mean, I definitely, I, I journaled more last year. I read more last year. Um, this year I've been like in the spring, I took 20 hours of school and like my head is exploding (laughs) thinking about going back to school oh my god yeah so I took I took 20 hours and now I'm taking 17 hours but I also have a job so like I I'm constantly doing school um not that that's like a good excuse to like ignore myself or something but you know I I mean basic self-care like super basic like I'm worth slowing down enough to eat this meal I'm worth taking a bubble bath I you know when I'm putting my makeup on I tell myself how beautiful I am like it's really really small um really small and it sounds cheesy but it helps um you know and and so we haven't really like talked about exercise but my relationship with exercise is like way different now too Um, I actually live in a city where I don't need a car and I don't have a car and I ride my bike all the time. Um, absolutely love it. I feel like, I feel like an eight year old. (laughs) Something you'd want for an eight year old girl. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so much fun. I feel so good. It clears my head. It get, you know, gets my body moving. It, I just, I enjoy every second of it. Um, And so I just try to fill my life with moments like that, where it's like, I love the space that this thing creates for me. And I want to create more of those. I don't don't know if that makes sense. That doesn't really, it's not like, you know, distinct journaling habits or anything like that, but it's, it's a habit of prioritizing um, the thing, the things that bring me like the most joy. Even just the, hey, I'm going to sit down and eat a meal, like that is so basic, but I don't think people do it because even if you're not like um, in an active eating disorder, busy people just rush through their day and do not take time to eat because, oh, it's not like the belief system. Work is more important. I have to give, give, give myself and wither away. Um, but like that, like, no, even though I'm taking a million classes and have a job, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat a meal. Like that's important. Like I can't do the things that I want to do that I truly believe will change a a little portion of the world. I can't do that if I don't sit down and eat. (laughs) Like it's that simple, you know? Yeah. Cool. So, um, I know that you're in school for therapy, so you're not practicing that right now, but if people did want to reach out and connect with you, um, uh, where can they find you? Where's the best place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on Instagram. So just shoot me a message. Um, totally here to help in any way I can. Um, like sometimes doctors don't know what they're doing when they, you know, just regular, like general practitioners, they don't know. And unless you go to treatment, unless you seek out eating disorder professionals, you know, you can just feel really alone. You can feel yeah. like a crazy person that's yeah. just alone. And so I'm totally here for you, like here for anybody. Message me. Um, 
we can just talk because you're definitely like anything that you're experiencing, any thoughts that you're having, I probably experienced and it's all normal for the position that you're in. So yeah. please reach out on Instagram. And um, my handle is at Lacey, L-A-C-I, Janae, but it's spelled J-A-N-E-A. So at Lacey Janae on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes because I think what you said, like it sometimes it's just helpful to talk to someone who's a few steps ahead of them because you're everything that you've gone through is so recent and pretty fresh still, even though, you know, you're on the other side, it's still fresh. And you have that understanding that someone who's never been in that situation has never experienced. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I got out of treatment, uh, January of 2020. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty recent, but things, things can change drastically in a very short period of time. So Um, it's, it is fresh for me and I've, I've been there. I will have the links to, or the links to your Instagram in the show notes. Thank you again for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. I'll see ya.